0: Oh, it's a lot. Like, I'm an inch taller when I sit down because of <laughs> it.
1: Welcome, everyone, to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. And my name is Rory.
2: And I'm your host, Katie, and today we are talking about the disappearance of Tara Calico.
0: And uh, where'd you do your research for this one, Katie?
2: This one was on the Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, Medium.com, LuthInvestigations.com, and CharlieProject.org.
1: Luth Investigations. What are they all about?
2: It's a PI company, I guess.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: And uh, where's this one primarily located?
2: This is in Valencia County, New Mexico, in the, I think it's Bellin City, City of Bellin. I'm not 100% sure on that, though.
1: Okay. Back to the four corners we go. Yes. All right. Well, why don't you start us off, Katie?
2: Tara Calico was 19 in 1988 when she vanished into the thin air. She was an athletic girl who enjoyed bike rides, specifically long ones. Tara and her mother, Patty Dole, would often ride together, but after one ride where Patty believed they were being followed, she decided to take a break.
1: Why did she think they were being followed?
2: They might have probably been being followed, and she just got a bad vibe from it, and she just didn't want to go anymore. Okay. Being 19, there wasn't much Patty could do to convince Tara that the route they took may be dangerous, and she continued to ride the path every day. On September 20th, 1988, Tara borrowed her mother's pink Huffy bike, grabbed her Walkman and Boston cassette, and headed out the door. She had plans for that afternoon, so she told her mom, if I'm not back by 12, come looking for me. Although it sounds suspicious given the circumstances, Tara was just joking and wasn't somehow predicting her sinister fate.
1: It was really interesting because, you know, in the late 80s, things were different, which is, I think, something we're going to see a probably a lot in this episode, where Things that these days would probably strike us all as like really strange was uh, like there wasn't as much crime, I guess, back then. So people might joke about it. Oh, it wasn't like as mainstream. My, well, I like the idea of
0: crime being uh, mainstream, and then like the hipster doing like like crime before it was crime.
1: No, no, like people, like it, it wasn't as. Um, not glorified, but it, it, people didn't know about it as much, like people were naive like and so you you know you joke about it, but you didn't actually really think that probably anything would ever really happen to you
2: around nine thirty. Tara headed out the front door for her normal thirty six mile route down state road forty seven in Valley, New Mexico. I couldn't find any pictures, but from what I understand state road forty seven was extremely desolate in nineteen eighty eight even today if you look on Google Maps there are only a few houses businesses and churches sprinkled sporadically along the road. It runs parallel with the Rio Grande River so most land to the left of the road looks to be pastures for animals and some of it is wildlife conservation area.
1: Most of New Mexico is desolate and not much there. When you're driving through there it's like takes forever because there's so far between towns.
2: And then so. you go to Albuquerque and get murdered.
1: Yeah, in the world's shittiest city.
2: Two hours passed, but even at 11.30, Patty wasn't concerned Tara wasn't back yet. When noon rolled around, Patty began to worry, but was still not thinking the worst. She left the house and began the drive down State Road 47, expecting to see Tara and bring her home. After dragging the 18 miles both directions, panic set in. Tara was nowhere to be seen. This was absolutely not like her. Tara was extremely diligent about following through on plans and was supposed to meet her boyfriend at 12.30 to play tennis. Patty called police, who began the search immediately.
1: So this is a morning ride that she took, right?
2: She left at 9.30. Last time she was seen was at 11.45-ish.
1: So in three hours, she's going to do 36 miles. That's pretty good.
2: The sheriff of Valencia County, Lawrence Romero, spoke to Patty and Tara's stepfather, John, and understood off the bat that Tara's disappearance was due to foul play.
1: And how did he realize this
2: so quick? Because she was just so thorough about following through on plans and they basically explained, this is not like her. She would never do anything like this. And he went, okay, well, then someone took her.
1: Someone he might have known? <laughs> yes. just saying, this sheriff is suspicious.
2: Not really. He's doing police work well. It's he knew not... right
1: off the bat. He knew
2: After right talking off... to her parents, yes, he knew right off After... the bat. The search of the area around State Road 47 began, as did canvassing what little buildings were nearby. Police learned that someone had seen Tara, and most likely her abductor. They reported that they witnessed an older model pickup truck following Tara, at times driving right next to her. It was described as a light gray or white 1953 or 1950 Ford, Ford pickup with a hand-painted camper shell.
1: And nobody thought it was strange that the truck was following the girl. Like They noticed it. They're like, oh, the truck's following her. Nah, no big deal.
2: If we believe the confessions that were given later, they were talking to her and she wasn't, like, fleeing from them. So, more than likely, they watched and assumed that she knew the people in the truck because they were around her age.
1: And And chit-chatting. Yeah. Chit-chatting, okay.
2: The next day, as the search continued, the Boston tape Tara had taken with her, along with the front window of a Walkman, was discovered. According to the Charlie Project, the tape was found around three miles from their home and heading away from the residence, indicating she had dropped it early in the ride. We know that she wasn't abducted at this point, as the last sighting of her was around 11.45. Police also found bike tracks leading off the road into the dirt about a 100 yards, where tire tracks were also discovered. As police continued to search in the following days, they discovered that it wasn't just one person who had seen the truck following Tara, five people had seen the same thing. On September 24th, pieces of a Walkman radio were found outside of the entrance to John F. Kennedy Campground, 20 miles away from where Tara had disappeared. While police weren't sure this was related, Patty believed that Tara intentionally broke the Walkman to leave a path for police to follow.
1: Was it the same type of Walkman? Yes. I found my Walkman the other day. It had a little clear window on the front, too.
2: I don't know if they made a bunch of different types of Walkmans in 1988, did they?
1: Uh, I don't know, actually. I don't know. There's probably an off-brand and then Sony. So
0: this was just outside of her biking range, though, right? She went 18 miles away and came back, and that's how she got her 36 miles?
2: This was... 20 miles away from where she had disappeared. So oh, shit. So it was far from. So, like, f- it wasn't like she went 18 miles and this was an extra two miles away. This is 20 miles away from where she disappeared. Okay, so this
0: is almost 40 miles away from where she started. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's
2: why they weren't sure. They, they said, no, more than likely, this is just another Walkman that someone had broken, but Patty was pretty sure that it was related.
1: If it was 2020, you'd probably know it was the same Walkman, though. There's only three Walkmans left in 2020. (laughs) Exactly. Your chances are a lot better.
2: After the first few days of heavy searching, the case began to go cold. This wasn't due to lack of effort on the part of the police or the family. Unlike we see frequently in missing persons cases, especially those of adults, the search for Tara began immediately and at full force, leaving no time for her abductors to make any mistakes. Despite this, she had seemingly vanished into thin air. On October 25th, Sheriff Romero announced that he believed two people were responsible for Tara's kidnapping, as witnesses reported seeing two people in the Ford pickup that was following her. The witnesses that saw the truck's occupants described the driver as 5'9 to a 6' foot male with reddish-brown hair. They said the license plate began with WBY or WBZ and ended with a 6. Four interviews were held based on the sketch created of the truck, but nothing came of them.
0: I don't. I would say it's probably not that common to see a mid-model 50s Ford F-100 with a uh, camper shell on it. So I kind of feel like that truck would stick out a little bit. But then again, this is also... In the 80s. Yeah, 30 years that ago. The truck's only
1: 30 years old back yeah. then. Maybe. Probably at least a few more of them on the road.
2: Nine months after Tara's disappearance, the case jumped back into the spotlight. On June fifteenth, 1989, in Port St. Joe, Florida, a woman walking into a convenience store noticed a white, windowless van sitting in a parking spot. She thought nothing of it, went inside and did her shopping, and when she came back out, the van was gone. Lying on the ground where the van had been parked was a Polaroid photo, which the woman picked up. The picture that she discovered is probably one of the most well-known photos to anyone who is an interest in true crime. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend looking at it. The photograph shows a girl and a young boy, estimated between 8 and 10 years old. They're lying on blankets, and their heads are propped up on pillows. It appears they're in a cargo area, like the back of a van. The girl and boy both have duct tape over their mouths, and their hands are seemingly tied behind their backs. Their feet are out of frame, so you can't see if those are bound as well. Both are looking directly into the camera, but their eyes don't seem fearful, more like, more so like they're tired. A copy of the book, My Sweet Audrina is Laying Next to the Girl, written by V.C. Andrews, Tara's favorite author.
1: That seems like a bit of a coincidence. Yeah, it seems real strange, because I don't, you know, most people probably don't all like the same book.
2: When the woman picked up the photo, she took it straight to police. Not knowing who the children were, only that they were more than likely in distress, roadblocks were set up around Port and St. Joe to stop any white vans and check their cargo areas. Unfortunately, they were too late, and the van was never located. Police studied the photo and determined it had been taken after May 1989, as the film used had not been available to purchase before then. After trying to identify the girl and boy in the photo, it was broadcast on the television show A Current Affair. One of Tara's stepfather's friends saw the episode and immediately recognized the girl in the photo as Tara. He called John, and he and Patty looked at the photo and confirmed that they believed that it was Tara. According to the Charlie Project, the girl in the photo had been seen earlier in the day along the beach with a few white men who appeared to be giving her orders. I didn't see any other sources besides this one give this information, so I'm not sure how accurate it may be.
1: At that point, the police had decided that the photo was most likely Tara, or...
2: I mean, they never said for sure, because you can't say for sure, but...
1: I think it's more evidence. The book next to the girl is more evidence than the actual picture itself because, A, the, you know, 89, the Polaroid quality is not that great. And then, B, um, the facial features of the girl are similar, but they don't don't look identical to me.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, police aren't going to go to Patty and say, this is for sure your daughter she's alive. Right, right. Because that would be fucked. So, they never said, like, yes or no. They said, maybe.
1: We don't want to get tied down to anything here, but we got this picture.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can't, because you can't give Patty that hope that her kid's alive when, in reality, she's more than likely not.
1: In comes the rookie detective. He's like, yeah, this is looking like great news. And they're like, no, 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 no.
2: Many questions remained after Tara was identified as the girl in the Polaroid, but the most important was, who was the boy? The family of Michael Henley came forward after seeing the photo and said they believed it was him. Nine year old Michael had disappeared during a camping trip with his father in the Zuni Mountains of New Mexico on April 21, 1988. Oddly enough, Michael disappeared only 20 minutes after arriving at the camping spot. Police believed that he simply wandered away and be- began a massive search of the surrounding area. A few days into the search, a snowstorm hit the area, halting any progress. A forensic sketch artist compared photographs of Michael and Tara with the Polaroid and said they were 85% certain that the that they were the ones pictured. The theory stood until January of 1990, when Michael's remains were located. An autopsy listed his cause of death as exposure and hypothermia and ruled out the possibility of foul play, meaning Michael was definitely not the boy in the photo.
1: Which had to be a bit of a letdown for his parents.
0: Yeah, and that seems to be a bit of a setback in proper identification because it's a person who said, I'm 85% sure was wrong about that and he may be wrong about the terror as well that is very true tara sorry
2: all right so now i'm gonna have you guys look at the picture of tara and the picture that was found outside the convenience store and i want you guys to tell me what you think that's a tough one the picture on the of her i think it's a school photograph was i think when she was 18 because she was still in school so i assume it's like one of her senior pictures so she wasn't exactly the same age, but you don't look that different, in my opinion, with a year gap between pictures.
1: I think the girl in the picture has bigger ears.
2: Which picture are we looking at, too?
1: In the van. The girl in the van, look how her ears stick out of her hair, like, pretty pretty profoundly. This girl's ears are tucked behind her hair, you know? They're like They don't try to stick out of the hair. I don't know. It could be her. The nose is really
0: similar. I don't know. I I want to say yes, but then again, I'd have to stare at these pictures for a lot longer to actually be able to see if there's any identifying features, but I'm sure the police have already stared at it plenty.
2: Yeah, and I mean, her hair's similar. Her eyebrows, though, are what gets me, because in the school photo, her eyebrows are pretty arched, and in the van photo, she has pretty flat eyebrows, and that could be her expression, but. She looks extremely different, in my opinion.
0: She looks really tan in the tied-up photo.
2: That could be the lighting, though. That could if be If you yeah. think about it, because she is in the back of a van.
1: It also doesn't look like she has freckles. In the, va- the the van girl doesn't have the amount of freckles that Tara had.
2: So what do we think? No? No.
1: I don't, I don't know. think so. I don't think so.
2: The only thing, really, that caught people up was that... The book? The... No, no one was as worried about the book as you are.
1: The, what do you mean no one's worried about the book? It's her favorite author. That's more convincing than the picture of the girl.
2: That's just, like, it could be a total coincidence, it though. It could
1: be a teeny bopper book. Sus AF, that's all I gotta say.
2: The only, like, major thing is, it's really hard to see in this picture, but the, in the Polaroid on her calf, she has a scar, and apparently Tara had a scar in the same spot that looked the exact same way but i mean i feel like that's a pretty common area to injure yourself when you're like a child
1: that is a new development though
2: since the discovery of the first polaroid two others that may be of tara have surfaced the first was found at a construction site in montecito california and patty believes it is tara the film on this one was also examined and determined it had been not been available for purchase until june of 1989 photo is very blurry, but it shows a dark-haired woman lying with her face to the camera and duct tape over her mouth. No thoughts on that one.
0: Um,
1: I don't... That could be anyone. That could be anyone. That's a real blurry picture, and it's really a kind of scarier picture. I mean, that person could technically not be alive. In that situation, I'm going to go ahead and say probably not.
2: It could also be a BDSM thing, though.
0: That's true. It
2: could just be in the middle of the action, someone snapped a picture. It's not like tying people up is like a weird sex thing. The third photo is of a girl sitting next to a man on an Amtrak train. The man appears to be laughing at her and pulling her head back. Her hands are bound in front of her, she had a cloth gag in her mouth, and her eyes were covered with gauze. Patty Dole wasn't able to say if this photo was Tara and thought it might be a sick joke of some sort. The film used in this Polaroid wasn't available until February of 1990.
1: That looks like an airplane ride to Epstein's Island. I don't know. That
0: kind of looks like more of a gag photo than the others
1: do.
2: And even, I mean...
1: I'm sure that girl would agree with you.
2: Even the first one of them in the van, some people have said that it's possible that that is not real either, because... Yeah, you like, can't you see that the their hands are bound. Yeah, You you know, I don't know why someone would take a picture like that, but it wouldn't shock me. After the discovery of the Polaroids, the case went cold once again. Both Patty and John were deputized by the Valencia County Sheriff's Office in 1991, which allowed them to basically be official police officers and work the case on their own.
1: What is this, the
0: old Western movie? I feel like it may, allows them to have access to police files and things like that, so they exactly, don't yeah. have to wait. They, you know, hopefully get that information when it comes
1: in.
2: So, yeah, and they could liaison themselves. Basically, yeah. they could carry guns. So, so the base- real
1: cops were busy. So they make deputies? No, they.
0: I'm. I feel like in this instance, they were more like, "Listen, we can't devote any more time on this. But what we can do is we can give you full access to our files and our way of searching." So we will deputize you so you have access to all
2: that stuff. Basically. Yeah. Patty never gave up on her search for Tara, but eventually decided she and John needed to get away from Berlin and escape the horror their life had become since September 20th, 1988. They moved to Port Charlotte, Florida, and Patty unfortunately passed away on May 11th, 2006, with no idea what happened to her daughter.
1: Why'd she pass away?
2: Um, She had a couple strokes.
1: Poor lady. Yeah, it's probably
0: pretty rough for you.
2: Yeah, not not easy on the body to search for your missing child for years and years. Yeah. When Patty passed away, John Dole stepped into Patty's shoes to continue the search for Tara. The biggest break in the case came in 2008 when Valencia County Sheriff René Rivera came forward and said he knew what happened to Tara. He claimed that four boys who knew Tara accidentally hit her with their truck while basically catcalling her during the bike ride. When she fell off the bike, they threw it into the bed and her into the truck and drove to a nearby gravel pit. When Tara threatened to call the police, the boys killed her and disposed of her body, also tossing the bike in a junkyard to ensure it would never be found. According to Rivera, the boys' parents aided in covering up the crime. Rivera also said he knew who all four boys were, but wanted to make sure he had an airtight case before he said anything else or released their names.
1: Almost as if he was covering.
2: No, he was being, this makes me so mad to give someone so much hope that you're about to get justice for your dead daughter and find her body and finally put her to rest. And then he's like, oh, no, I'm sorry. need to make sure I can take it to court first before I do anything.
0: I have to make sure this is verifiable. Just don't say shit. Just shut up and verify it. Yeah,
2: Yeah, this was just the biggest dick move that this guy could have done. And then that was it. He was dead silent. He He never said anything else.
1: Was he worried about his career or why did he do it?
2: He's never said, I don't think he's ever really talked about the case since then. He's didn't, like, outwardly say, I failed in finding evidence in this case because, insert reason.
0: So this guy just basically said he knows who it is, he thinks the parents are involved in the cover-up, and there are four people involved in this case, but he can't confirm any of it, it's just a theory? Why would you even talk about it? Yeah,
2: and he knows specifically who all four of these kids are. Yeah. And what they did and how it happened, but, oops, sorry, I don't have enough evidence to make a strong court case.
0: So he just disappeared off the radar?
2: He was still sheriff for a while, but yeah, he didn't really say anything else, even when John, because John was pissed, rightfully. Yeah. And he confronted him, and he was like, no, sorry, I need evidence. Like, obviously, you'll have enough evidence if you know who did it. Yeah. It was stupid. In 2009, more Polaroids surfaced. The chief of police in Port St. Joe, Florida, received two envelopes, each containing a photograph of a young boy with a return address of only Albuquerque, New Mexico. The first photo was of a young boy with black sharpie scribbled over his mouth, resembling the duct tape shown in the van Polaroid. The other photo was the original Polaroid with no marker over the boy's mouth. It was postmarked August 10, 2009, while the first was postmarked before it on June 10, 2009. The photo of the boy that had been drawn on was also sent in a similar fashion to a local newspaper. No one has ever been able to identify the boy, but police felt strongly the photos were connected to Tara's disappearance in the first Polaroid.
0: The boy does kind of look more like the kid in the Polaroid than Mm -hmm. Tara Tara.
2: Nothing new came until 2013 when six local and federal agents reopened Tara's case, hoping for answers. Probably the most interesting piece of evidence came from a deathbed confession given by a man named Henry Brown. The report didn't surface until November 2013, despite, from what I can understand, the confession occurring at an earlier date. A former Valencia County Sheriff Deputy met with members of the task force and described meeting with Henry Brown. Brown said that his neighbor, Lawrence Romero Jr., openly talked about killing Tara with some of his friends. If the name Lawrence Romero sounds familiar, it's because he was the sheriff of Valencia County at the time of Tara's disappearance. If Brown is to be believed, Sheriff Romero's own son killed Tara and Romero covered it up. The story was similar to what Sheriff Rivera announced in 2008, that Tara was hit with a truck, taken to another area, sexually assaulted, and murdered. Her body was disposed of, but when the search began, they picked it up and moved it to a makeshift basement under Romero Jr.'s trailer.
1: What ultimately ended up, like, what happened to the body? It just stayed there? Did anybody go look?
2: No, they didn't find about it until 2013, and I don't think the trailer was around until then. So ah. no one knows. All of these people are dead now, so there's nothing that we can they can do with any of this information, really.
0: That's crazy. Do we have any idea where uh, Romero's trailer was at that time, though? i
2: i mean i don't the police probably do but i don't i don't know if they buried her and then moved her again like i said he's dead so there's no way that he would ever say what makes the story more credible was the fact that another man donald dutch went to the sheriff's office around the same time and gave a very similar story individuals in the close-knit town also believed romero jr to be responsible but not much could be done This could also explain why Sheriff René Romero was so hesitant to release the information of his suspects without irrefutable evidence. Lawrence Romero Jr. accidentally but fatally shot himself in 1991.
0: Are we sure that it was accidental?
2: Um, his dad thought it was a homicide. And then they refused to look into it because... Funny how that works, right?
0: Yeah, I'm... Is there no possible way that this could have been a suicide? Like that the kid just rightfully couldn't live with the guilt and took a way out?
2: From, I mean, there's really nothing I could find on his death, but there was a bunch of people in the house and he was, I think, cleaning his gun. So
0: Interesting. Okay. It was more
2: than likely an, an accident. If he killed a young girl and then his dad covered it up for him i don't think he would feel all that guilty cuz i'm sure he would feel like I it was fine it was what funny. he did cuz the police
0: oh i don't fixed know. it for you here's the, he may not have been he may have gone to his father and told him what had happened wanting to know what he should do and his father being a man of power stepped in and said well we're going to do this because his career his life probably would have been ruined by The admittance of his son killing someone so my guess is that since this all adds up real well that's probably what it was was that this kid did do that the body is where he says it is and sheriff romero convinced him not to talk about it and the guilt ate him up and he shot himself it's possible i mean the logic line is there i don't know if it's actually true but makes sense in my
2: head yeah well sheriff romero is also dead So, this is pretty much all the information we're ever going to get on this case, and we'll likely never know what actually happened to Tara. Her body's never been found, no one's ever confessed, except for these two people, and they just overheard it. They weren't actually involved, so.
0: What What do you think happened, Katie?
2: I think more than likely, she was killed in that area, and taken in that area, and... I think it would have been really hard for Sheriff Romero to cover up the massive search unless he took the body, like, far, far away, and someone would have noticed him being missing, I think. Because it wasn't, like, a super huge town. I don't know if they had a huge police department where if you wanted all hands on deck, you wouldn't be like, oh, where is Officer Smith today? That's weird. He's been gone since 1130 last night.
0: Yeah, that is... Kind of crazy.
2: So I think
0: didn't th- didn't he also though like just straight up believe the parents when they said something was wrong?
2: Yeah, but I don't see any issue with that. Why would you not?
0: Well, my question being is he probably knew one hundred percent because in most cases when we see a reaction to adult an adult missing, it's usually like oh we have to wait twenty four hours before we consider them a missing person. But this man started it right away. so. My idea is that he knew.
2: But why would you start it right away? Because wouldn't you want that extra 24 hours to get everything in order? I mean, this was immediate. This search started immediately after she disappeared. Like, why would you not want that time if they put her body somewhere and they needed to move it, why would you not want to wait
0: oh, I guess I'm to start still, searching? I guess I'm still thinking that this is the day and age of cell phones where his son, he gets a frantic call from his son. No. No, that didn't happen. Okay. Yeah, I keep forgetting that cell phones weren't around back then. So and it's this like, was... His son probably just called him and said this was happening, so he knew what exactly what happened when he showed up at that house.
2: No. So, I mean, I think more than likely he didn't know, and that's why he was like, oh, all hands on deck, full, full speed ahead, we need to find this girl. And then he went, oh, fuck, we need to not find this girl.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's let's not find her now.
2: So I think, in my opinion, if it had been a cover-up from the very beginning, it would not have been an immediate search. Because that extra 24, 48 hours would have been, Monumental. I mean, very, very yeah. helpful if you're trying to cover up a murder committed by four people who all need to get their stories straight.
0: I guess that's true. What about the other three friends that were supposedly with him?
2: Their names have never been released. I don't know where they are.
0: Interesting. So? So I wonder if there are any, like, detectives out there. I know you said you got some information off of a private investigator's website and stuff. I wonder if there are any, like, home detectives that have any additional information on this one that would like to write in and let us know what they think. Like Matlock. Yes, all you home Matlockers. (laughs)
2: I think if anyone had any for any more information available on this, we would know it because this is like one of the huge true crime cases that everyone wants solved. This is kind of similar to John Binet, where you know all the information. I mean, we have pictures, but
0: oh yeah, no, the I we have nothing pictures of the the picture of the kids with the duct tape on their mouth. I remember seeing that picture before. Before I remember that picture more than I remembered her name.
2: Yeah, and I mean. If that's not Tara, who who was that girl and who was that little boy? Yeah. That's a whole other
0: situation you have to get into. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I mean, and then there's the other, what, five pictures? Yeah. Of the little boy that got sent from Albuquerque, quote unquote. Yeah, it's just weird. There's a lot of strange Polaroids that I think need to get investigated.
0: Yeah, how do you investigate a Polaroid, though?
2: In this day and age, with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, it might be easier to compare, but obviously that hasn't gone anywhere. So what if this little boy that we're trying to find a missing persons flyer for isn't missing? Yeah. What if someone's dad just decided to take a really weird fucking picture one day?
0: That's true. I mean, parents are weird. He could have saved it for a scrapbook saying, this is how you keep the kids quiet on a long country trip. Exactly,
2: yeah. And then there's the other ones. Is that the same boy? Is that not? Because that looks like it's just a snap of his face. Yeah. And it could have been taken by his parents.
0: Yeah. I don't know. This is weird.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of questions that I don't think will ever probably get answered.
0: It's just going to stay an unsolved mystery, huh? Was I going to do it for this week?
2: Mm -hmm. Yep, that's it.
0: All right, guys. That one was short and sweet. But as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com.
2: You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast on Twitter at fourcornerscast and at com.
1: And give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. You can head over there for a full episode list or to send us ideas for episodes that you might like to hear. We could really use to hear about some new cases if you guys want to send those in. Or you can just get your free sticker from our merch store by entering the code bingo bango at checkout, and getting it shipped out to you 100% for free. So just remember this week, the Alaska State Bird is the ptarmigan, and it takes one bear for 21 people. Alright, we'll talk to you next week, guys.
2: See ya. Adios lovers.
1: Does the
0: donkey
2: have to be the boy in order to get a meal new-